Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. So today, we're not, not just joined by one guest, by two guests today. Um, so uh, I, I love these because it, it keeps me even more on my toes, right? I'm trying to figure out how we can make the, uh, distill uh, the wisdom of two fantastic, uh, fantastic guests today. So Stephanie and Paula, welcome to the show. Thank you for making time to, 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 to come on and, and, and share your stuff with us today. Thanks, Simon. Thank you for having us. Yeah. So maybe we could start with um, Stephanie. Could you introduce yourself to the uh, the listeners? Then we'll do the same with Paula. Sure. Uh, my name is Stephanie Sterling, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Um, I work in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and my um, I work for Catholic Charities of the Diocese of Baton Rouge. And I'm the director of family services here. And I've been here at Catholic Charities uh, for about 10 years. Brilliant. And, and you, Paula, if you could do the same, please. Sure. Um, my name is Paula Davis. I, too, am a licensed clinical social worker. I currently work at the Louisiana State University School of Social Work. But most of my experience has been in adoption, working with all members of the adoption constellation. So birth parents, adopted people and adopted parents. Yeah. So um, what comes to your mind when you hear this phrase, thriving adoptees, the, the, the name of the show? What comes to my mind uh, is information and Sometimes um, people, the information is difficult, maybe history or birth history. It might be um, difficult information or hard to hear, but it seems to me that adoptees or adopted persons thrive with more information about their history, about where they come from, even if it's difficult information. Yeah. And what's your take on that, Paula? I think I would echo what Stephanie said. There's a documentary called Adopted for the Life of Me by Jean Strauss. I don't know if you've seen it, Um, but she follows the story of several adult adopted people who search for their birth families. And At the very end of the documentary, she says, even a small child can tell you that living things need light to survive. And that I think what Stephanie was talking about information, um, whether it's adopted people, whether it's birth parents or whether it's adoptive parents, everybody does better with information. So making sure that when you're working with an adoptive couple who's looking to adopt, that they're prepared for this lifelong journey of adoption, making sure that they understand that adoption adds another layer of complexity to parenting and making sure that women who make that selfless decision of adoption um, have access to information as well. Yeah. And, and did you see, did you say um, need light to survive? need light to survive. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. And, and What do you mean by light? Um, that nothing grows in the dark. Nothing grows in secrecy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, uh, the, the old analogy is that mush is mushrooms here, isn't it? That's something to, I, I can't, I, what, do you remember that? What that is? I can't, it's something like mushrooms, uh, mushrooms, are the only things that grow in the dark? Is that is mm-hmm. that something like this, the story? Yeah. Um, so w- why 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 do we need information to why 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 do we why do we need information to thrive? What what's that about? I think everybody wants to know where they come from. They want to know who they look like. They want to know um, their history. They. People have this innate, um, you know, this innate um, emotion or desire to know more about themselves. And when we don't have information, then we make things up. 
So it could be, you know, a fantasy, it could be a good fantasy, or it could be, you know, it could be a positive fantasy, or it could be a negative fantasy. But whatever it is, it's not based in fact, it's based in our imaginations, um, or maybe bits and pieces of what we've been told, but maybe not the whole story. Yeah. And when we base our identity on bits and pieces or on fantasy, um, it's never the it's never the reality of who we truly are. So, um, you know, we've learned over the years in working with adopted persons that, you know, they may have based their whole identity on something that wasn't true, or maybe they were told something that wasn't true. And they have to really rethink their whole life at that point, because they had based their, their entire life on, on, you know, something that was false or something they made up or something someone else made up about their history. Yeah. And that can be really devastating. Yeah. Well, and, oh, I was going to say, I'll add to you in working with adult adopted people who search for their birth families. One of the things that they say to me is I feel like my life is like a puzzle with a lot of pieces missing. So how do you as a human being feel whole? How do you thrive when large portions of your story are not there? And one of the things that I've also seen in working with adults who've had um, reunion with birth families is having information about their whole story whether it's positive or negative, and usually it's a combination of both, as is true for everybody. We all have positive sides of our story, and we also have difficult information in our story, but it tends to improve all of their relationships around them, because when you think about your identity, it's hard to connect to others if large pieces of who you are are missing, and so, so I would add that, that it's important that information is shared in a empathetic, loving, age-appropriate way so that adult adopted people can thrive. Yeah. So I, I was talking to, um, so I'm in my 50s, right? I was talking to a, a, an adopted guy who's about, um, uh, about my age, right, um, from from the states and he'd been on this quest he'd been on this quest to 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 um you know to find the for, find the truth and he 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 he, he seemed to me he, he, he said to me like, I, i've resolved everything it's it, it, you know like i've got to the end and 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 he he felt that he was there he felt whole he and it was really interesting because he didn't seem that whole to me. Do, do you know what I mean? So he'd got, he'd, he'd found the missing pieces, but he was still, he was still struggling a bit. So, um, and uh, the, the thing that's coming to my mind is this kind of expectation, the expectation effect. So we've got people that are on one end of the, on, on one end of the continuum, people are consumed with the need to know and at the other end of the spectrum we've got a kind of yeah well I'm not really bothered I'm, I'm not really bothered about I'm not really bothered about the past and um I, I'm just wondering what what does that continuum look like is it one of those like bell curve things where some are at the extremes and then the majority in the middle or because we're we're all at diff, we're we're all somewhere on that. On, it's not a, a one or a no. It's not a binary thing, is it? This, right. The, this, well, this curiosity. What does it mean? Like? So, some one thing that I would say is that I think it's very true that there are some people who are consumed with the need to know, and maybe some other people who are not. Again, that is human nature. There are some people who are very curious whether they're adopted or not and some people who who 
just sort of accept life as it is. I, I So I think that that would just fall within whatever is in typical society. But I will also say that for people who are adopted, there are different, there are milestones that maybe bring up adoption for them. So they may be thinking about it more. For an adult adopted person who was adopted in a closed adoption, a lot of times what I hear is when they have children themselves, that it hits them, that this is the first time in their lives where they've looked at somebody and see their features reflected back. Um, another thing that I've noticed in my work with people who are searching, men tend to search later than women. And usually it's men in their late forties, early fifties. So it's kind of like, I've, I've raised my family. Um, I've, I've, my kids are grown. Maybe my adoptive parents are deceased. So I don't feel this loyal to the, to, to them anymore. So I can search. Um, but it's almost like now that all these other things in my life have been taken care of, I can focus on this one aspect. And, you know, one of the saddest things, well, you know, everybody thinks adoption is happy work. And one of the saddest things to me happened several years ago. It was a hospice social worker called me and she said, I'm working with a woman who is in her nineties, who is dying and she was adopted and she wants information about her birth history. Can you help? And I couldn't help because she was not adopted through our agency. But for this woman who was dying to be able to go and die peacefully, she needed access to her history. And we could not provide that for her. That was really difficult. Yeah, yeah, wow. Interesting you say about the uh, men searching men searching later and when their adoptive uh, parents have perhaps died um just my experience was like i, I was I, I was sitting in a, uh, a therapist chair and uh, the, the thought of my birth mother rejecting me again as i saw it right um was it came into my head and i i got very scared at that and then i got very um determined that 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 fear wasn't going to ruin uh, ruin uh, ruin my life you know or, or, or not ruin my life. I, uh, we're talking I, I'm, I'm over dramatizing mm-hmm. I decided that 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 fear wasn't gonna um, affect me and uh, so I did what I believe that your Marines do I ran towards the gunfire the marines say i've said this before on some of the podcasts apologize listeners if you've heard me say this before but some of you might not so um you know the marines apparently run towards the gunfire and they say that every other part of the u.s uh, military runs away from the gunfire that's their view on it so i ran to, towards the gunfire and 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 so i was coming from quite a uh we would say bolshe like that comes from some Russian for Bolshevik, quite a grumpy place to, to resume my birth search, uh, research my birth mother. And, and that led me to, to discovering some stuff. And, and, um, and I, the, 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 the putting the missing pieces in, in, in the puzzle. That's how, how I did it. I'm just wondering what do um, you talked about, um, I think it was, I think it was you, Stephanie. You talked about it being in in fact, like just the facts, right? Coming at this from facts, because otherwise we've got this fantasy, and you you know the fantasy could be um, the kind of the the rainbows and unicorns, or it could be a, a fantasy of the nightmare variety, you know. Um, and mine was more in the nightmare variety, uh, uh, and there's this. Uh, there's this tendency that we have as as adoptees to make make stuff up. I mean, as I think human beings, as human beings, we all kind of make make stuff up. And uh-huh. one of the things that we make up is that once we've got to the end of this search, 
then um, then we'll be whole. Just, just I mean that the missing pieces will make us whole. The fact that we're not whole already. What what does that look like? What what does it what does it look like? Uh, oh yeah, how accurate are adoptees in? Um, I'm struggling to find the right word here. Um, how good? Yeah, forecasting. How good are adoptees at forecasting how they're going to feel when they've got the missing pieces? Is that, um, that a tough I, one? Yeah, I think people, you know, once you have the missing pieces, I think it's then time to do the processing because, um, okay. you know, and especially with someone who is an adoption competent therapist, because that's an important piece to have that, um, you know, education that goes beyond, um, it's a more of a specialization and I would say it's important for folks who, when they get that information or they are using an adoption competent therapist in order to obtain um, information would be, you know, best case because then that professional can help them process their feelings because they're going to have feelings about um, their history, their past, um, why they were placed for adoption, if that information is then, um, you know, realized or obtained. Um, and it would be really helpful for somebody that understands the complexities of adoption to help them process those feelings related to that information. And then also process their, their grief of even the grief of their, um, who they thought they were, uh, of losing a piece of maybe uh, what they thought uh, their history was and their identity based on that. Um, it's, you know, processing the grief and loss again um, now that more information has been obtained. And I would like to add to that too, the importance of not only processing after but the importance of processing before. So a good adoption competent therapist helps someone do the processing before the search begins. And one of the things that I'm a part of right now is um, the training for adoption competence. That is a training that's here in the US through the Center for Adoption Support and Education that the goal is to make sure that therapists are trained in adoption competence because many times adult adopted people, members of the adoption constellation seek mental health and that person doesn't even touch on adoption or if they do, they're touching on adoption, but it's, it's founded by myth. And, you know, earlier we talked about the importance of information. So if I'm working with someone and they reach out to me, so let's say it's a man your age, Simon, and they're asking about information, one of the things that I talk to them about is that their birth mother probably did not have a choice about the adoption. Like this was a decision that was made for her. She had no say. The other thing that I tell them is even if she has not started to search for you, it's probably because in the US, she was told that it was against the law for her to search for you. Like that information, I think is important for an adult adopted person to know because sometimes they're telling themselves, she's not searching for me because she didn't care. She made an adoption plan because she did not care. And that couldn't be further from the truth. It could be the adults in her life stepped in and said, you cannot do this. Or if you do this, you're gonna do it without any support. And then the professionals involved said, go on, do not ever speak of this again. And don't even think about trying to contact your child because it's against the law. Now that's not true, but that's what they were told. 
And to provide that information to an adult person and see them start to process that is very important. And then the other part, like Stephanie said, is then you follow up on the tail end of providing support for what comes out of this search, whether it's whether it's this um, unicorns and rainbows story or whether it's not unicorns and rainbows. Yeah. Wow. Um, this is um, this is really powerful stuff. Because uh, uh, first of all, I address what uh, Stephanie said is that it's almost as if. So what shifted for me is that, uh, or maybe it's just the way I'm hearing it that. Um, that the the the, the, uh, the finding this information is kind of the end of the road, and it's uh, the end of the journey. And it's not; it's it, it's it's a milestone along the journey, and it's the starting point of a different sort of uh, different sort of the journey. Um, and that, to me, is it's one of those. Uh, I don't. It's one of those. That's really obvious, Simon. Why hadn't you thought of it like that before? Moment, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, and it's also incredibly validating for me on what I've been doing, right? Uh, and, and my own my my own journey, uh, and and then the. The, the kind of like the the lovely bombshells that Paul is dropping with is like two critical parts, two critical points of of information. It is all about information, but it, it may not be about the information about the birth mother, where she lived, but the piece of information that she was probably coerced, you know, or she, it wasn't her choice, or it, it, it wasn't. Older people, probably older people, people with more power, people with more authority uh, over her have been in the driving seat and she wasn't. So it wasn't as if she didn't have that free choice. So that story that... Uh, somebody may might be making up that uh, well I've talked about my own story right so when I had this meltdown about my birth mother at 40 it was my birth mother didn't love me enough to keep me and and, and she gave me this she so she gave me away and she gave me this consolation prize that uh, that's not a consolation for the fact that she gave me away and essentially that was the kind of the stuff that was uh, th those those were the words that came out of my mouth and I'd never I'd never had those thoughts before you know th they had never been uh, at the back of my brain I, I'd never thought anything like I'd never born I'd never given her a second thought really the birth mother um I'd never borne any malice to her before that and I'd never really thought about it but then this came up, and when it came up, it was, well, this is this is the danger of the stories that we make up in our heads. And we think, I heard this, I, I heard this um, from, uh, uh, from, from somebody in the US a few, few months ago, and I, I love that. We think we think that the voice in our heads is CNN, when really it's the Comedy Channel. It's it's a it's a work of it's a work of fiction. And the thing is that we're so all of us human beings, adopted or non-adopted, we're we're so kind of consumed by the drama in our heads. Uh, that we sometimes struggle to, to distinguish between what is true and, and what is, um, to use a technical term, baloney. Uh, so, uh, and that's where the, that, that's where the, 
the facts become uh, priceless because we're no longer um, laboring under a whole set of false mis misunderstandings. And um, yeah. Well, you know, Simon, you, you talked about why did this not hit you before? And, and I would say probably because you weren't ready for it. Um, and, and that, again, speaks to the part of this being a journey. But the other thing, so, you know, we talked about women who made adoption plans in closed adoptions, but women who make adoption plans now where they are, in some ways, they have choice. One of the, thing, the things that I think is really important to know, and I've been working in adoption for 20 plus years, I have never, ever met a mother who did not love her child. Now, there may be some things that get in the way of her showing that love. It could be poverty. It could be substance use. It could be mental illness. But I have never, ever met a mother who didn't love her child. And the women that we work with who make adoption plans, number one, they're usually a little bit older. So it's not the high school girl who got in trouble anymore. It is somebody who's probably 25 to 35. And they're already, they're already parenting other children. And typically they are excellent parents. And so when you think about that, I cannot think of a more significant example of a mother's love than a woman putting her child's needs above her own and making this adoption plan. And that is something that society typically doesn't talk about. But the women that we work with, this is not an easy decision. There is a lot of thought, a lot of effort, a lot of planning that goes into it, a lot of work, um, a lot of pain. And to leave someone in the hospital and take their baby with you is probably some of the hardest work that I have ever done in my life because I feel like I'm kidnapping someone's child and I see the devastation that I'm leaving behind. Um, and then for adoptive parents, when it's an open relationship and they're there on that day and they're leaving with the baby to see the greatest source of their joy come from the depths of someone they care about's despair. I mean, that is, I mean, that's adoption. That is adoption. And it's important that the professionals involved understand that, get that, and that they educate others about the realities of adoption rather than the myths that drive it. Yeah. And it's important, thank you, Paula, because I think what you just said is so profound. Um, I think it's also important that the professionals are there to support the, the adoptive parents and the birth families so that they can move through and, you know, process this journey because like Paula said, one person's greatest joy is born out of someone else's greatest loss. And it is very difficult to hold that reality in your mind at the same time. Um, and the adoptive, you know, in open relationships, the adoptive families are witness to the uh, birth families grief and loss. Uh, and it's very difficult. It can be very difficult for them. And it's important that the adoption professionals are there to help support them through that, the adoptive families and the birth families, um, because it's, you know, one of the most difficult walks that I think I've walked with someone else is, you know, someone who's placing their child um, for adoption. Yeah. Is that, uh, is that loss for, uh, lessened in any way from the birth, uh, for the birth parent, for the birth mom, um, when there's going to be 
openness and, and relationship going forward? I think it helps, but that loss is always there. And it's important too to remember that as Stephanie said, birth parents need support because in some ways I've had birth, birth mothers say connection is like reopening a wound over and over again. Um, but the other thing about openness is that when they have appropriate support, they can heal. And not only is there loss in adoption, but there is also some joy Whereas if there's no openness, it's just the loss. But I, I don't want people to think that openness is a panacea for the loss. It's not. The loss is still there. I, I was trying to act, ask it in a, in a gentle way. You know, is there a, a sense of that? Um, and I, I guess there's... Uh, There's, there's, there's a com complexity to this that um, is perhaps beyond uh, beyond beyond words or beyond the the rational. And I, I listen to a lot of other podcasts. I don't listen to many podcasts in the adoption space actually, but other podcasts uh, about let's call it mindset for one of a better word. Uh, and um, and it is always it, it is. It, 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 it is always about mindset. It's always mental health. It's always about psychology and it, it's less about emotions. Do you see what I mean? So everybody, like, so I listen to lots of kind of sports, sports performance podcasts and everybody's trying to reduce it. Everybody's trying to reduce it to kind of thought stuff um, rather than emotional stuff. Hmm. Uh, and uh, so it makes a ra rational logical sense and you know x and y it's very deterministic it's very um, mechanistic it's very reductionistic uh, and that we're, we're not talking about anything like that here and and, uh, and it always seems to often it seems to flip to me to to reduce it to to to, to thoughts and so I was trying to ask that question in a in a in a in a sensitive way. Does it lessen? Does it lessen? But the world wants us to say one or, or zero, doesn't it? And, and you know, we're 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 feeling beings, not not thinking beings. Nobody ever wanted to think good, did they? This is one of my mentors said. <laughs> Nobody wants to think good. We want to feel good. We're about the feelings. We're about the feelings. So it's funny, isn't it? Everybody's obsessed with mental health, um, but we don't talk quite as much about emotional well-being. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's seen as kind of... That's and, seen as, and you can't have mental health without emotional well-being. Like, do you know what I'm saying? You can't have one without the other. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I see for me, the, the, the answer lies above, above those, both of those things, you know, the, the, the kind of, um, most of us, I, we, I thought it was just the Brits that are obsessed with the weather. Right. But I've been to the States quite a lot and I've, I've been to events where lots of people from different parts of the States have got together. And obviously you you've got a bigger country. Um, than, than we have so you, you the differences in your weather are, 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 are more extreme than the differences in here in the uk and uh, so you you love this stuff, but we've we've got this thing in in the uk called miserable weather have you got that stuff right? mm -hmm. miserable yeah. weather this is there's this idea this is so the societal belief that um that the weather can determine our mood you know? and it, it, it doesn't really bear any scrutiny but we all believe it right we all kind of believe it um so the but the truth is that our, our feelings always come from our thoughts so yes um mental health you could say mental health our uh, what's going on in our head heads 
determines what's going on in our hearts, our emotional well-being. You could kind of determine it that way. But most of us haven't even got that far because we still think it's the weather that's causing how we feel. Well, and, and so what I was saying is I think you need the emotional well-being in order to have mental health. Oh. The other, like the opposite way. But I will also say that there is some proof that the weather does impact our mood. Like well, there, 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 if we there, think it, it does. No, well, if no. think it does, it does. No, no, well, that that's true too. That I mean, like that that is true too. But also, um, in places where there's no sunshine for long periods of time, people have yeah. trouble with sleep. I mean, like it does, it does impact us, whether we want to believe it or not. Because when you think about it, at our core, we are primates. We are animals. You know, and so a lot of stuff that we have is hardwired into us. Yeah, I was I was going to say something jokey then, but uh, I know that's okay. You don't. Have, I mean, but when you think about it, we are. I, we I, are. I, you know, I, I know better than this. Well, and, and <laughs> I'm joking. Right? I know, I know, I know. But <laughs> think about too. I, I think adoption also is influenced by the fact that we are primates because when you talk about attachment, the ways that we attach are hardwired into us because be, by our old part of our brain, like the primal primate part of our brain, that's all hardwired into us. And so yeah. making sure that families that are adopting understand the realities of what this child has faced prenatally because of what they've been exposed to. Um, so yeah. yeah. I'm, so, I'm well, with you. you know, yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. And, and I think probably hardwiring uh, it, it, it is, it, it gets under, uh, you know, it, it gets under underestimated, uh, especially by people trying to sell us mindset courses. Mm-hmm. Because they tell us that we can overcome, you know, we can, uh, oh yeah, I had, a, I, I, I put a, a post out about this last week, actually. So, you know, a lot of people will talk about rewiring rewiring the brain so you know you think this way so you need to think differently and if you just spend x dollars or x pounds and x hours with me then i'll show you how to rewire the brain and then so you've got that sort of thing but that doesn't tend to work well it didn't work for me anyway and then you then you go for the dewiring so you're dewiring so you're trying to uh uh kind of um see through all your limiting self-beliefs that's that's another one uh, and then the uh, and that that didn't work for me either and then and then you've got the kind of well our thoughts and feelings don't re- really matter it's because it's they're not who we are and we're giving too much attention to them and we're getting caught too much in the drama. So we're, you know, seeing that we're not the drama, you know, we're the screen on which the drama appears. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I'm, I'm at at the moment. So um, I'm not sucked in, I, I'm sucked into the story less. Just what I mean. I'm sucked into the drama less. So before we were, um, before we started recording, you, uh, one of you is talking about I haven't watched, haven't watched the news think it, uh, for 17 years. That was you, Stephanie, wasn't it? So you're not yes. drawn into the drama. We were talking about the, the way that the, the, the news has, you know, pulls us in, pulls us in with, with these shock headlines, scares the bejesus out of us. Um, Sorry, I shouldn't, shouldn't say that with Catholic charities pressing. <laughs> uh, it scares, um, scares us, uh, scares us. Uh, but we're drawn in. We're drawn in. We're, we're drawn into the drama. And wh- what if when what if when we're also we're drawn into this drama, um, the story in our head, which is made up. It's not. It's, it's not the truth. And nor is it who we are. You know, we are. We we aren't. We aren't our story. Um, who would we be without our story? Who would be we be without our drama? And that's for me the identity piece. Um, but I realised that where I'm kind of a little bit far out on this stuff. 
So I'm just well, going to check in and whether whether that's making any sense well, or I'm just losing. And and so what I would say to that, Simon, is we aren't our story, um, but especially as adults, we have the power to rewrite our story. And I think that goes back to the idea of journey and that how we are constantly rewriting our story. Yeah. Uh, are we rewriting our story? Or are we rewriting our future? Or are we doing both? Both. Yeah. I think by rewriting our story, we, we, we rewrite our future. Um, Tell me more. I'm, int I'm intrigued. You've got me curious. Okay. All right. So earlier I mentioned the documentary adopted for the life of me. And um, in that documentary, there's a man who searches for his birth mother. He finds out that she's deceased, but he finds out the reasons that he was placed for adoption. And part of it was because his mother was involved in an abusive, relation, uh, abusive relationship. And she had made that adoption plan in order to protect him. And you watch him rewrite his history on the way home after meeting with friends of hers, finding out that she had thought about him all of his life, um, that she'd never forgotten. And even though she hadn't told people about him, like she'd written poems and just, he was always in the forefront of her mind, even though she never spoke to others about it. You watch him rewrite his history with this new information that this was not a decision because she was careless. This was a decision because she was protecting him. And, you know, you have to wonder what does his future look like now that his history has been rewritten with, with factual information. Um, and in the documentary, he's divorced. He has an adult daughter. I have to believe that those relationships improved because of the information he had about his history. And I wonder, would his daughter's life be different with this new history? I wonder if he would still be divorced with this new information. We don't know, but what we do know is that he has the opportunity to rewrite his future. And, and we are not, our, our future is not predetermined. Yeah. Yeah. Um... That, that, I'm glad I asked you the question because I, I did have a misunderstanding. I, I, I had misunderstood what you said, and I wholeheartedly agree with um, with what uh, with what you what you just said. And and I think yeah, for sure, uh, it, it's kind of similar to my own own story to a to a degree. Um, I remember reading one letter in the in the adoption file that I got, um, uh, you know, and um, a letter from my birth mother about the, did I tell you about this? A, a letter about the teddy bear? No. Oh, you did tell us she, she had left a teddy bear, but I don't know that you told us she left you a letter. All right, yeah. So no, she didn't, she didn't leave me a letter. Okay. She didn't leave me a letter. Um, she, there was a letter in the file to the adoption professional saying thanking the adoption professionals for the for the help on the day that she had um, relinquished me or handed me over to my mum and dad or however you want to say yeah I'm not hung up on the vote uh, the wording the phraseology for that so she she starts by thanking the the adoption professional and then she goes on to say that she'd meant me to have and she meant to buy a, a teddy bear for me. Um, but on the way to the meeting, um, four days before, yeah, when she'd handed me over. And the, the traffic was bad. So she couldn't actually stop. Uh, and um, would my parents accept a, a, a teddy bear from her if she was to buy And as I read this, I sensed her desperation. Um, I felt her love for me. I felt her care for me 48 years before. And 
and I realized that the story in my head was a work of fiction. And 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 I and huge deluge of hot tears flooded down my face because uh, I saw the truth. Um, and I felt for her. Uh, and I also realised how wrong I'd been. <laughs> Uh, and, 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 and that and, and and that is yeah that's kind of what you're saying you know rewriting rewriting the uh, rewriting the past in in in, in shorthand in, in two words rewriting the past and how that would um how that would change my change my future going forward so um yeah that's um that's superb and and, and that's been the the there've been lots of significant moments on, on the learning journey over, that I've been through on the last 15 years uh, that uh, but that, that's got to be one of the most profound uh, healing healing moments that I've found yeah sure thank you for sharing that yeah I think that's important that in order to humanize the other parties, um, it's, you know, we have to help adoptive families empathize with and walk in the shoes of um, the birth families for a bit. Um, because one of the myths of adoption is, you know, let's get this baby away from these people um, and that's like Paula said earlier, that's not our experience that, um, that birth families are, you know, bad parents or anything like that. That's not our experience. They're actually really good parents who are putting the needs of their child above their own. And for the adoptive family to walk in their shoes, in the birth family's shoes a little bit and empathize with them, it humanizes them and also helps them to see things from the birth family perspective. And openness does help with that because they get to know each other, they get to form a relationship and they truly care and love for each other. Uh, and they put their child's needs above their own, the adoptive families as well, puts their child's needs above their own in recognizing that, you know, it's a, it's a good thing for the child to have more people that love them in their lives. Um, and always, you know, in moderating that with, what really, you know, what is in the best interest of the child. And, um, but it's important to just recognize that in all relationships. Um, and how do we do, you might not be comfortable um, at first, but if we put our child's needs above our own, then um, it's it most, most of the time is fruitful and best, you know, for all involved. And, um, and I think one of the things that Stephanie said that to me really stands out is to make sure that adoptive parents are equipped to share their child's story and not just what the parents couldn't provide, like what birth parents couldn't provide, but also what their strengths were, because how do you feel good about yourself? if you think you came from someplace bad. And I think, um, especially in the past, when adoptive parents were sharing the story, they often shared the birth parent story from a place of deficit. And, and certainly if things were going well, an adoption plan would not be happening, but there's also strengths that can be focused on in that moment. And like you said, how that teddy bear for you was the epitome of the care and concern and the thought that your birth mother had given and the love that she had for you 
when she made that plan. Yeah. Um, I loved what you, you said, Stephanie, about um, humanizing it and humanizing them. And that I, I, what I was thinking is like, they're, they aren't just good, they aren't just good um, parents, they're good people. To get to the heart of the heart of the matter. Right. So this has been a standout. This is this has been a standout um, episode for me in terms of uh, the, the the depth and what I've got out of it and, and how it shifted uh, some perspectives um, in for, for for me. So I hope it does the same for the for the listeners. Is there anything else that you'd like to to uh, to share before we uh, close close this one off? Well, I think one last thing I would say is that we need to prepare all families for openness um, because with DNA and those um, mechanisms that people can use on their own to find um, birth families, that if we don't prepare families for openness and um, help them along that journey, we're doing, we're doing families an injustice. So it's really important that, you know, people say that they want closed or this or that. And, you know, that's just not a reality. It's not in the best interest of anyone. And it's just not a reality in um, today's society. And, and I would say, Simon, thank you so much for having us and giving us the opportunity to talk about something that we're all very passionate about. And um, my, my closing thought would be that adoption is a journey and that journey never ends. And for people to be open and aware of that. Yeah. So thank you very much, Paula, Stephanie. Um, the, as always, listeners, I always put, uh, put some links in to, so you can check out what the guests are doing and, and in their websites and their socials. So uh, check out what Stephanie and Paula are doing and we will uh, speak to you again very soon. Thanks a lot, listeners, and goodbye.